that. Uh, and I'm going to start out by reading this. So the focus today is we're going to look at chapter 1. And in chapter 1, uh, living in light of Christ's return. Living in light of Christ's return. Because this is, this is kind of the, the perspective that we get from these people. Now, I'm just going to read this, and then we're going to go back through it, okay? Are you ready to do that? And then we want to let the Holy Spirit apply this to our lives, and maybe we go out here thinking a little bit differently and changed by the power of God. All right, verse 1, 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, which is another name for Silas, okay, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. We give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. For we know, brothers, and the word brothers there is kind of used generically, kind of like we say, you know, you guys and Instead of guys and gals, guys means guys and gals, right? So when he's saying here, it's just speaking brothers, he's talking to brothers and sisters, okay? So you know. Uh, so it's for we know, brothers, loved by God, that he has chosen you. Because our gospel came to you not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit and with full conviction. You know what kind of men we prove to be among you for your sake. And you became imitators of us and of the Lord. For you received the word in much affliction with the joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Achaia. For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth everywhere so that we need not say anything. For they themselves report concerning us the kind of reception we had among you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his Son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. Now, last week, if you were with us, or you joined online, uh, we started this series actually last week, but we didn't start here. We started back in Acts chapter 17 when Paul, Silas, and Timothy went to Thessalonica, and we saw what happened there. And uh, so you remember that he was only able, and if you didn't get that, you can go online, on, and, and even on our webpage, there's just the sermon only on there in audio or, or whatever. You can, you can get that. But uh, we found out that he was only able to be there a short amount of time, maybe a month or so. Uh, And then he was run out of town, remember? Remember how he went there and it says that he reasoned with them from the scriptures and he was explaining it to them and proving that Jesus is the Christ in the synagogues. And, And in the synagogue there were Jewish people there that knew the scriptures and they were waiting for the Messiah. It all added up to them. And the Holy Spirit opened up their minds and their understanding and and they they put faith in Christ. And then there were some there who were Greeks and there were Hellenistic Jews there and there were Greeks, there were Gentiles, maybe even some Romans that were God-fearers that would come to the synagogue and study with them. And many of these people believed. And, of course, the Gentiles, all of them were involved in idolatry. 
As we go through this, we're going to find out more and more about this place called Thessalonica and what kind of place it was. You know, it was a different time and a different culture, but so much was still the same. you got to understand, there was no Judeo-Christian values there in that part of the Roman Empire. And that many of them, whatever it is that you wanted in life, there was an idol that addressed it, right? Whether, and we'll find out more about that tonight. Uh, whether it was riches or whether it was, uh, you know, if sensuality or whether it was like whatever, there were different gods that they worshipped. And they did lots of raunchy stuff with that. I mean, there's a lot of weird stuff went on. So a lot of these people that are new believers, uh, they're coming in here and they're, they're learning a different way to live. And they're finding out that, that what God has for us is so much better than anything else. And what I was trying to find, seeking after all of these idols, I could never find. But I'm finding total fulfillment in the true God. So there are a lot of false gods. There are a lot of fake gods. But now they're serving the true and the living God. So... Paul and Timothy and Silas are there and they're teaching people. People are getting saved. God's power is evident. And then there were some folks who didn't believe and they were jealous and upset. You remember they started an uproar. Uh, and, uh, you know, politically your town can't have this kind of thing happening or Rome might come and just crush everybody. So uh, they, they ended up having to get out of town. And we ended up last time talking about how, you know, they may have run Paul out of town, but they didn't run Jesus out of town, did they? But Paul goes on, and if you read the story, he goes on down. Paul ends up by himself for a little while, which he doesn't like to be by himself, but he's by himself in Athens, and then he's joined by the others. He goes on up to Corinth. And, and during this time, because he had to leave so quickly, he's worried. He's worried about the Thessalonians. And, uh, and he has confidence, but yet he's worried. He sends Timothy back, check on them, and do some more. Paul can't show his face because they're wanting to kill him, right? But guess what? It doesn't depend on any one of us. Hallelujah, right? It's all of us together. And God has, is going to use Timothy. Timothy goes back, spends some time there, and then he comes back and he reports in like, wow, they are doing great. They've continued in the teaching and they're growing. And uh, so he was excited about that. But there were a few areas of concern, right? Always. A few areas of concern that Paul needed to address. And guess what? They are also areas of concern for me. And probably you. You're not getting out of this so easy, all right? He's going to give us some real talk about, remember, one of the themes of this is uh, being faithful to Christ in a crazy world. And it was a crazy world that they lived in. And it's shown enough a crazy world that you and I live in today. But being faithful to Christ in the midst of that. So you think, oh, it's a Bible days, man. Things were just easier and different back then. I'm telling you, it wasn't easy for these people because remember, they received the gospel in much affliction. It was tough times. Uh, so I think we can identify with a lot of this. These people were new Christians. And uh, Paul uh, addressed them how they should handle different questions about life. Uh, things about their career, about work, about work ethic, about sex, about doing God's will for their lives, about the end times and God's coming judgment on the earth. Uh, but by the way, you'll notice the way these chapters are broken up. And this wasn't part of the inspired text, but just the way they're broken up. Every chapter ends with some kind of reference to Christ's return. That's pretty amazing. And the one we read today, chapter 1, is no different. He reminds us as we go through this that God's will for our life is for our sanctification. Now that word just means our being set apart or made holy. Uh, that the Holy Spirit, when we believe God's word and God's presence, the Holy Spirit goes to work inside of us. 
to radically begin to change the way we think and the way we act and the way we react, our attitudes. And he does it in such a way that changes our lives as we continue to grow in this, and it will impact those around us. People around us are going to notice something's going on. And he encourages to live in such a way that it forces people to take our God seriously and our faith in him seriously. That they know you're the real deal. Now, Paul makes it clear in, as we get into chapter 2 that he wasn't trying to promote himself. There were other, you know, just like today. Can you believe this? Nothing new under the sun, right? Uh, we need to study Ecclesiastes. It talks about that a lot. But it's so true. Because there were preachers and religious teachers going around in that day. They were just in it for themselves and trying to, to, to rip money off of people and things like Did you know that? You think that's still happening today? Oh, yeah, 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 it's happening today like crazy. Uh, And Paul wants them to know that even though there were people like that out there, they were the real deal. They lived among them. We're going to find out they even worked and didn't mooch off of people. And they worked and they gained their respect. They saw they were the real deal. They were real people that they could identify with. They went through real stuff. They saw Paul and Silas come into town and they were all beat up. You remember why? Because they had just come from Philippi where they had been beaten and whipped and thrown in prison. But God set them out free from that. Remember? And so I'm sure they were still scarred and battered and sore. They, they saw they were the real. They, these guys aren't doing this uh, if, if they know it's not true. They know this is truth and, and they've had a real experience with Christ and it impacted them. Uh, he makes it clear he wasn't trying to promote anything but the kingdom work of Christ. And he gives assurance to them That, listen, even though the world's so crazy, you're not headed for destruction. You're headed to everlasting life. Where are you headed today? Everlasting life. And we are headed to a kingdom that never, ever fades. Our hope is in Christ and His resurrection. He overcame the world. He overcame sin and death. And so will we. Amen. That's the message He's getting across. They were living their lives now filled with hope. Waiting for Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. See, they know there's wrath to come on this earth. That there is a judgment coming. But you know what? I'm not going to stress out. So this helps me. This helps me when I'm persecuted. This helps me whenever I'm afflicted because of my faith in Christ. This this helps me when I don't get treated fairly, right? Because I know that it's not all about here and now, and I know about the perfection. It helps me whenever physically things aren't going well, when you're sick, when you're hurt, when you're in pain. Uh, It it helps me when I know uh, I'm dealing with with separation from people I love uh, and and different things like that because I know this isn't permanent. This is temporary, and what's coming is forever, and it's going to be perfect. It helps me with that, and it also helps me as I know that sometimes you're like, boy, this world and the way people are doing, man, one of these days they're going to get theirs, right? No, I want to share the gospel so they're delivered from the wrath to come just like I am and like you are. That, that, that Christ delivers us from more than just our idolatry, more than just our hurts, habits, and hang-ups, and our afflictions. He delivers us from that judgment that's coming on the whole world of people who've ever lived. Uh, we are delivered from that. That means, guess what? Uh, if you are in Christ, judgment happened at the cross. Your sins were judged there. Just like God gave us an illustration thousands of years ago. When Israel was captive in Egypt and they had the very first Passover, 
that was just an illustration of Jesus and what God was going to do. As they took the blood of the, the specific spotless lamb, remember? And they put it on the doorpost and they put it on top and on the sides. Kind of looks like a cross in a way, doesn't it? Uh, but whenever the death angel came pronouncing judgment, because let's just face it, the truth of the Bible is we're all guilty sinners and we all deserve God's judgment. We all deserve to be separated from him. We all deserve death. We all deserve hell. That's what we deserve. The fact that any of us can have a relationship with him and have eternal life and live with him is all grace on his part because none of us deserve it. So don't get off on this, this isn't fair, that's not fair. The only fair thing is that we all were separated from God. We all died. We were all spent eternity in hell, and, and that's what we would deserve. That's the only fair thing. The most unfair thing was that Jesus, God the Son himself, came, and he went and bore all of our sins and took the punishment for it, made the payment for it so that we could be set free. And forgiven. So, so this is God's grace. And this is what God wants us to know about. This is what God wants us to experience. He wants us to be delivered, not just from, from our sins and, and bondage we have now, but delivered from that wrath to come. And he's gone to a lot of trouble to make that possible, and we want to share it. But I can be comfortable, even with the terrible things going on in the world, because I know one day he's going to come back and he's going to set it straight. Every bit of it. Now, as we jump into this, uh, these people are seeing this, and they're living, waiting on Jesus, who's going to return from heaven. They're living in the light of Christ's return. That's the backdrop. That's their perspective. They're living in ultimate victory, even though they haven't received it all yet, because they know it's coming. Now, in verse 1, look at it. Paul greets and expresses his prayers and thanksgiving to God for them. He's with Silas and Timothy. You know, uh, Paul always worked with a team if he could. There's no lone rangers when it comes to the body of Christ. We're all connected. Paul always tried to have his team with him, and he lets them know, these guys are with me, and they're a big part of this as well. Uh, so he's writing to the church. Uh, the word in the Greek is ekklesia, and it literally means the called out. So these are the called out people among the Thessalonians. To the church, the called out. We're the called out that are called out from this lost world into Christ's kingdom. Uh, so that's what they are. They're, they're a local gathering of believers as they come together, but they're part of God's called out people. In God the Father, it says in verse 1, and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. I think that's powerful because notice they are in God the Father and in Jesus Christ. Did you see that? Don't just read past that so quickly. There's no better place that you could be than in him. Now, tonight, we're going to talk a little bit more about what that means. You're not just with him. You're not just by him. You are in Christ. There's a big difference there. There's a big difference there. Because it's a whole lot better if I'm going to face stuff in this world to know that he's not just with me. I am in him, and he is in me. All right? We'll expand on that tonight. Uh, what a blessed place of, 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 of security and blessing to be in Christ. But he says, grace to you and peace. Now, that's powerful, too. A lot of times we say, well, that's just a normal greeting that Paul would give people. It's more than just that, more than just that. It's more than a normal greeting. Uh, it is packed with power. Don't skip over it. Because of his grace, and only because of his grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, that's the only reason we can be in him and be saved. And if we are saved, and if we are in Christ, then uh, I can have peace with God. I'm not separated from God, but my sins have been paid for. 
Somebody had been posting memes all over, like, whatever, uh, you know, about the Passover and reminding us of a very good truth that I think is powerful, that whenever the death angel came, he didn't look inside to see how worthy the people were. He looked on the outside to see if the blood was there. And that's the way it is. It's Christ. It's all Christ, not our worthiness. But now, because I'm in Christ, he begins to change my life. And now I'm motivated to want to be different and change. But the motivation isn't I'm trying to deserve anything. It's just because I've been blessed and because I love him. And he goes into that next. Because now that we are in his grace, we can have peace with God. When I have peace with God, I pretty much can be at peace with everything else going on. Amen? So look at this. We'll break it down this way. First of all, he emphasizes their testimony. Their testimony. And when he does that, I see the big three coming out. This is the, this is the testimony of what, what he's hearing about them and what's going on. He remembers and thanks God for the root and foundation that they have. And you see this come out. He says, we give thanks, verse 2, to God always for all of you constantly mentioning you in our prayers. And I think it's good to let people know we are thanking God for them and praying for them. I think it's very encouraging. And he's letting them know, I'm thinking about you. I'm praying for you. I'm thanking God for you all the time, constantly, without ceasing. Remembering, verse 3, before our God and Father, sees ours, not just mine, because we're part of the family, your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope. Do you see the big three there? These three come out often in Paul's teaching, faith, hope, and love. Right? Ring a bell? Yeah, so you see that here. You see that's what's at work. Um, faith. He knows their work, their work of faith. Their work, that what they're doing, comes as a result of their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And faith is more than just saying, I believe. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. I believe God is real. I believe he died on the cross for my sins. I believe he rose again. It, it, it involves that, but it's more than just mentally uh, giving assent to those facts. It is more than that. It is submitting, trusting, and relying totally in Jesus Christ. Remember the old illustration about the bridge and crossing the bridge? Uh, that looks kind of like, I don't know if, if that will hold me up or not. Uh, if you say, well, I believe it will, faith is more than just saying that. Faith means you walk out on the bridge, okay? Faith means you totally submit and entrust your life, your salvation to Jesus Christ. Trusting, relying, submitting totally to him. That's what faith is. But their work of faith, the work came because of their faith. They received the gospel, trusted Christ by faith, and there was proof, there was evidence of that by what they were doing. So what they were doing, they weren't doing it to try to get in good with God or earn or deserve anything. No, they were doing it because they just believed God and trusted God so much it changed the way they lived. It was fruit produced from their faith in God Almighty. Work of faith. Did you see that? They weren't working to deserve it. They were working because he'd already delivered it. And then their love. The love. He says, labor of love. He recalls their labor. Now, this is a different word than the word translated work. The word labor here is a word that could be translated toil. I mean, this is like getting down to the grind. Some of life is toil and labor, is it not? I mean, some of the even living the Christian life is by the sweat of the brow. I mean, it's tough. It's toil. But you know what? Their toil, their labor came out of an overflow of love. Just like being a parent can be toil and labor. Can I get a witness? <laughs> oh, man, I can remember 
so long, you know, uh, especially, you know, bless his heart, Seth over there leading kids worship. When Seth and his twin sister Shanda was born, uh, our oldest, Caleb, was only 23 months old. They were born five weeks early. They were in intensive care for a while. Then we bring them home, and they're just so little, they can't do nothing. <laughs> and, you know, it was like how long that we never, how long was it before, like, a night's sleep? What is that? It's like years that there's no night's sleep where you go to bed at night and you sleep till you wake up on your own. You know, six, seven, eight hours later. Oh, man. And, and the constant, you know, dealing with all of that. But you do it. It's toil. Why? Because you love that baby. You love those people, those kids, right? You love them. And the reason why we toil and we labor for Christ is our love for Him. We're just overflowing. It, it doesn't matter. You know, the love motivates us. Uh, Chris and I celebrated our 38th anniversary Thursday, didn't we, babe? And yeah, okay, you can clap. But um, for her, for her, she deserves more than that. So I guess I pretty much got to quit telling people I am 38, you know, <laughs> with that. So, wow. Uh, but uh, anyway... You know, after all these years. But I remember, it seems like not that long ago, I was standing there, Scott, in that B dorm at Hillsdale, now Randall University, on that little payphone, you know, with the short cord in the cold in the foyer, uh, and uh, talking to her and being tired. I could barely sit. I couldn't sit down. It was such a short cord. I was on, and, and then I realized symbolically she would have me on a short cord, you know, from then on. But, um, but you know, said, but, but I, we'd do it, you know, and we'd spend all that time. You hang up. No, you hang up, all that. Uh, because love, love motivates you, doesn't it, right? That's what he's talking about, their labor of love. It's because your, your, your work that you're doing is because you trust God so much. The labor, the, the toil, the going through tough times even, it's because you love him so much. You, you felt his love, his love has filled you up and it's spilling back out that way that's what it is think about what all he's done i want to give him my best uh not because i have to because i want to if your labor in the lord is not fueled by love then you don't know him very well you just don't know him enough you need to get to know him better You, you don't need to do more right now you need to know him more because once you know him more you'll just do more it works that way get it Then the hope, because he says your work of faith, labor of love, and steadfastness of hope in, hope is very specific, in our Lord Jesus Christ. He testifies about their steadfastness. That steadfastness has to do with endurance. It has to do with perseverance. And and it came about and it was fueled by the hope that they have in Christ. Now the word steadfastness or endurance is upomone, which literally means it's a compound word that means to abide under. It would be used like of a mule who was you know, carrying a big load that would stand up under the load. It indicates, as I said, endurance, patience, steadfastness. So they're going to hang in there. I'm going to bear up under the load even though it gets heavy. I'm not going to let go. I'm not going to quit. 
Because of that hope is fueling me. The faith, the trust in Christ, the love of Christ, and now the hope. Now, hope here is not like hope that the world talks about. Hope here is not like just, well, you know, wishful thinking. I've used this illustration, I know a lot. Like hope, if you're saying like, man, I hope he hurries up and finishes this. That's wishful thinking. You know, that's all that is. It is. But the hope in the Bible is more than that. It is joyful anticipation of the fulfillment of all of God's promises. I can have confidence today. I have confidence. Confidence in things that is part of my faith. Faith, substance of things hoped for, Hebrews 11.1, the evidence of things not seen. Substance of things hoped for. It's part of my faith is that I have confidence because I'm anticipating the fulfillment of everything that he said that hasn't happened yet. And so because of that hope, it's that anticipation. It's that joy that caused them, no matter how tough things got, they hung in there because they had hope in Jesus Christ. Now, if you have hope in me, you're going to be let down. But if your hope is in Jesus, you'll never be let down. Amen? Faith, hope, and love. Like I said, it pops up several times. Remember, one of the most famous, though, is this one. 1 Corinthians 13, 13, where he talks to them about, so now faith, hope, and love abide. These three, but the greatest of these is love. And I've often wondered, why do you say the greatest of these is love? What was the deal with that? Um, well, uh, Real quick, I know I've shared this before, but just in passing, uh, faith, hope, and love. Faith, one of these days, did you know we walk by faith, not by sight, right? One of these days, our faith will become sight. When you die or when he comes back and gets us, you cross over to the other side. You'll be there. You'll, you, 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 you'll be able to, so, so, but then hope, think about hope. One of these days, everything you've hoped for and everything you've believed will be fulfilled. You won't have to hope anymore. But the love, the love of God that's been poured into you that spills over onto one another and, and, and is returned back to God, that will continue forever, through, forever throughout all heaven, throughout all eternity. And I don't even know how to describe forever. But I think that's why it's the greatest. It's going to continue forever. Ever. So this is part of what was their testimony that he found out about them and seen them. And then that gives him assurance and confirmation uh, about what's going on in their life. Uh, and he has confidence in them that God has done a work in their lives. They are loved by God, verse 4. I know this. He said, I have confidence. I know I have assurance. Uh, brothers and sisters, you're loved by God. He's chosen you, that you are part of his family. God chose to love you and to open your heart so you understand this. He chose to give his son for you. You need to know that. And the evidence is seen, verse 5, as he says, because, I know this because, and that he's chosen you, because our gospel came to you. One of the reasons is not only did you receive, but it came to you. God saw to it that you got the good news. Our gospel came to you not only in word. you got to have the word. It has to be spoken. It has to be read. It has to be proclaimed. But also, he says, in the power and in, 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 power and in the Holy Spirit with full conviction. Did you see that? The evidence was seen and felt in the power of God. Uh, upon them as they received it and as they believed, as they put their faith in the good news, the gospel of God. It's not like hearing and believing anything else. You know what I'm saying? This is different. The word of God, the Bible says about itself, is alive and powerful, right? Remember how Paul started in the synagogue? 
when we read that last week, he went to Thessalonica. He found it's a great place to start because at least they had the scriptures and at least they knew the real God and so forth and so on. He started there with Jews who knew the scriptures. There were also some Greeks who were God-fearers and there were probably a few Romans. There were Gentiles there as well that would come. Paul reasoned with them as we saw last week from the scriptures. He explained them to them and gave evidence or proof. And that's what we're supposed to do in our teaching and our preaching and everything we do here is are those things things and give evidence or proof that Jesus is the Christ. He had to die on the cross for our sins. And he also, as it says in verse 10, whom he raised from the dead, he rose again to give us new life and victory. So their hearts were opened and they got it. Remember that? They got it. Some of them, not all of them, but many of them, they got it. Jewish background, Gentile background, family used to worship idols. They, they got it. And the power and presence of God was evident in their lives. It wasn't like believing anything else. The power of God was that they were fully convinced. They had full assurance. I know now that I know. Full conviction and assurance. The word there translated means full carrying, that you're filled up to where you're overflowing. They were filled to overflowing with understanding and confidence and faith in Jesus Christ. That's how he says, I know. The gospel came to you, and, and then and, and not just in word, but in power and in the Holy Spirit of God, and with full conviction. You fully were convicted and understood. You can't just get that on your own. You don't just figure that out on your own. The Holy Spirit has to draw you and reveal that to you. So I know God's at work. God was at work. I know you're his. He was at work in your life before you even believed in him. Wow. And as they embraced this and as they spent time with Paul and Silas and Timothy, as they got closer to him and the others, they saw that those guys were the real deal as well. Because he says that you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake. Because there were weirdos and, and, and frauds out there. He says, you lived among us. You know this is real. This isn't just some myth or fairy tale that we came along talking about. And it says in verse 6, is that a 6? Yeah, okay, it's a 6. <laughs> Oops, I'm going to have change to the large print, aren't I? It says, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. It said, you just started, you know, we, we, we've been in the faith longer than you. You started learning from us. And imitating us, and the, the word translated is the word we get the word mimic from. You began to do like we were doing, and we were just following Jesus. So you were following us as we were following Jesus. That's what you were doing. Uh, imitated them and the Lord as they were following Jesus. Uh, th th this motivated them. They were motivated to imitate them and have a good example set in front of them. And it says that they did this in much affliction. That um, says, you became imitators of us and of the Lord for which, for you received the word in much affliction. So that was during a time of affliction, and, and literally that word means pressure. You remember the story, there was all kinds of pressure. And a lot of people are like, oh, you know, hey, I, I'm just, just, I'll just stay out of this, you know. No, they believed and they embraced the gospel in much pressure or affliction. And at the same time, they experienced something else. Isn't this weird? So at the same time you're experiencing affliction, it says... With joy of the Holy Spirit. This is supernatural joy. And there's a difference between just joy and happiness. Because happiness has to do with circumstances or happenstance. This is joy which is one of the fruits of the Holy Spirit. This is joy that you have in pain. This is joy that you have in persecution. This is joy that you can have during sorrow. Well, now I thought those were opposites. No, no, no. 
not in the Lord. You can have sorrow but still have joy, supernatural joy, from the Holy Spirit that is inside you. Paul and Silas have been beaten and thrown into prison, and they still had joy inside of them. So this is the real deal. People out there, they're trying all kinds of relationships, all kinds of weird stuff, getting involved with the wrong people, all kinds of drugs, all kinds of sex, all kinds of things, trying to find peace, happiness, and joy, and they're never going to find anything but heartache and disappointment and destruction. But God says, if you follow me, I'm going to give you real joy even during the midst of pain, even during the midst of affliction, even during the midst of tough times. I'm going to give you true joy that lasts. That's what I'm, I'm, I'm up for that. Huh? How about you? And it's so worth it. So happy about that because I can have happiness even when happenstance isn't going so well. Hmm? See, to just have earthly happiness, that means everything has to go. I have to feel good. And everything has to go the way I want it to go. And you guys have to treat me the way I want you to treat me. Do you see how many opportunities there are to mess that up out here, right here today? Huh? So if I'm relying on that, I'm not going to be very successful. But if I have joy from the Holy Spirit, then nobody can take that away from me or you. We can surrender it if we get our eyes off of Jesus. But uh, the devil isn't powerful enough to take that away from you. All he can do is tempt you and try to distract you, to draw you away. That's what temptation means. It means to draw us away, draw our attention away, draw our hearts away. That's all he can do is entice us. But it's up to us. So when we put our total faith in Jesus, his word instructs us. Came to him in word. His presence... The very presence of God, the presence of Christ himself, the spirit of Christ, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit, God the Spirit, fills us, enabling us to follow and to serve Jesus with a heart full of love and steadfastness and joy and power. I got to wrap this up now because this is just getting to be too much. I mean, all right. So then we'll wrap it up the last few verses about the witness that they had uh, that others are going to notice. Other people are noticing this. In verse 7 it says, So that you became, you, I mean already you became an example to all believers in Macedonia and Achaia. This whole region. It says, For not only has the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Achaia, but your faith in God has gone forth anywhere, so we don't need, need to say anything. I mean, it's like I, I, as, I'm, as I'm worried about you and sent Timothy, and then other people are traveling through Thessalonica and coming around, and, and they're like, hey, Paul, did you hear what happened in the Thessalonica? Said, I heard. I was there, brother. You know, was, yeah, Can you believe what's happened? They turned from idols to living God. So people were hearing about it. If you live differently and you have Christ in you, people are going to notice. You don't have to wear big... You don't have to carry around big signs, you know. It's okay to wear a Christian t-shirt, but you, you don't have to. You don't have to be a weirdo either. Just be real. And they're going to notice something different about you. And I'm going to tell you what. You do this right. It's something I found. Got to watch that. It's something, I'm going to get right out on the edge with this now, y'all. Literally. It's something that's attractive and winsome to them. It's something that they're drawn. They're not drawn to you. They're drawn to something about you. It's Christ. 
Now, I've seen people drawn there, and as it comes to a point that they are getting to know Christ, I've seen people back off and turn away, and you can see how the enemy is distracting them and working against them. But it's, it's, it's something that was a drawing people to what was going on in their life. They became an example of that part of the country. Uh, you know, though some of those Jews rejected the gospel, they became jealous. They started causing trouble, and they kind of follow Paul around, causing trouble. Yet there were others who believed, and they became part of that local church. They continued to share what they had learned and experienced with people they knew. Some of them were Jews, some of them were Greeks, some of them were Romans, and they found that, that there were people they knew, people they related to, that they just began to see something happening to them. What's changed? And they began to share with people they knew, both Jew and Gentile and everybody. And then those people came to know Christ. And then they knew other people that were like, hey, what's going on with you? I want to hear about this. And they shared it. And it's spreading. That's how it happens, y'all. As they begin to take the Scripture and the Word and the presence of the Holy Spirit, begin to open people's hearts and they understand. Uh, so it's amazing. They, you know, they, they had connections with other people who believed in Christ and also turned from idols. So... He says that the word of the Lord didn't just come to them, but it sounded forth from them. Did you see that? In uh, verse 8, the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in all of that area. And, and, and your faith in God, the, t- the witness of it has gone out there. The word sounded forth. It indicates like a trumpet blast or a th- peal of thunder that reverberates. That's what happened in that short amount of time that Paul spent in Thessalonica and he shared the gospel there. And it seems as if when Paul come to a new area, you know, maybe they're already hearing about what's going on over there. They were witnesses who spread the good news. Who doesn't need good news today, y'all? It is good news. Now, two things about their testimony that I see here. Uh, So here's their testimony. For they themselves report... Concerning us in verse 9, the kind of reception we had among you, how you turn to God from idols. That's the first thing. I don't have that up there, but I think it's in your notes. They turn to God from idols. Turn. That's what that word repent means. It means to change. It means to turn. So there was faith that was seen there. Faith. You can't really repent without having true faith. And you can't really have true faith unless there's repentance. Because if I'm really going to trust Christ, I've got to turn from this to him. They did that. So you see their faith there. You see how they turned to God from idols uh, and they served. So the second thing is they not only turned and had faith and repented and turned him, they served. Served God. I get to serve God. Do you see that? To serve the living and true God. Now, they, they had the testimony of the people. They were living their lives. Now, uh, turned from idols, serving God, waiting for, verse 10, his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, who delivers us from the wrath to come. They were living their lives in the backdrop of the fact that he is coming back. And I want to serve him with passion and urgency. And... Uh, I don't have to worry about everything else because he is coming back. And he's going to take care of all of it. There's an emphasis on the fact that he rose. He conquered death, right? He is our deliverer. He is our savior. They understood there was a day of judgment, a day of wrath coming. And Jesus, as I said, not only delivers us from the idolatry and all their hurts and their habits and their hang-ups, 
but he delivers us from the wrath that is a judgment of God is coming. So you see faith, hope, and love right here in verses 9 and 10. They turn to Christ. That is faith and repentance. They turn from idols to Christ. They turn to serve. They're serving the living and true God. Why did they serve him? Well, we already found out their labor. Why did they labor? Why did they serve? Labor of what? Love. So we see their love there in that they served him. And they were waiting for Jesus to return. What is that? That's the hope. So really you see faith, hope, and love right there activated in their lives. As they're waiting and watching for Christ. These commitments summarize the priorities that we should have today in our church. That we are turning to Christ from other things. We're serving Him because we love Him. And we are expecting and hoping and waiting for His return which could come at any time. And it it, it should be the priorities of us today as we live in the light of His return. So folks, I want to tell you something's coming. Somebody is coming. What is this world coming to? I'm going to tell you what it's coming to. It's coming to the day. There is, the Bible says over and over, a day. There is a specific day out there on the counter that only God knows that's coming. I don't know whether we could be like the day or we could be a ways, but the day is coming. Now, here's the deal. According to what we're waiting for, if you have faith in Christ, for you, it is the day. If you're alive then, or even if, if, if not, well, he's our deliverer, right? But it is a day of ultimate deliverance. He delivers us from the wrath to come. Or it will be a day of ultimate deliverance or it will be a day of ultimate destruction. But the choice is for all of us of what kind of day that day is going to be. Of whether we have faith in Christ or not, he lets us choose. Let's pray. Father, I 